Does your shoe have a boy inside? What a funny place for a boy to hide. Does your shoe have a dog there too? A boy and a dog and a foot in a shoe. Well, the boy is Buster Brown. And the dog is Tide, his friend. And they're really just a picture. But it's fun to play pretend. So if boys and girls like you want some fun, get the shoe. With a picture of the boy and the dog inside, you can put your foot in too. Buster Brown Shoes. How big are the shoes you are filling? You know that common saying, you've got big shoes to fill? Meaning, that person you're going to replace was a superstar, and you, well, you, you're no measure of that person yet. It's interesting to me that when we're replacing someone who was a complete disaster, we don't say, you, you've got extraordinarily tiny shoes to fill. Your feet are going to pop right out of those shoes. You shouldn't even put them on, they're so small. Or how about you? You, you know you've got slightly average shoes to fill. You're probably going to grow out of them very quickly. We don't really say either of those things, do we? No, the filling shoes idiom is almost always used when we're replacing someone who was very highly regarded, even when it's not usually the most common circumstance for us to, you know, be filling them in the first place. See, as it turns out, finding the origins of filling the big shoes is really hard. There are a few sources of origins other than, well, you know, popular folklore or common idioms, but interestingly... It seems that the saying itself may have at least some part of its origins in another common and related idiom, which is, you can't really judge someone until you walk a mile in their shoes. Put those two things together and you end up with something really interesting to think about, because we don't often actually combine those two thoughts. See, you might find yourself filling someone's shoes for various reasons. You might be the understudy, perfectly trained and prepared to fill in for the star of your business. You've walked at least as far as they have in terms of replacing them. Or you might be the last one left, where you get asked to fill in for someone who has the least desirable job in the business. You've never walked in those shoes, and you don't even know that they look like shoes. You know they're going to be uncomfortable. Or you may be the successor, the new person, replacing someone who has just left, and in which case you may be unaware of how big the shoes you're filling until you start walking in them. Some people are going to take you aside and tell you how big they are, and some are going to take you aside and tell you that, thank God you're here because you're replacing that disaster of a guy, and you'll completely fill out those shoes in no time. In any of these scenarios, and this is the part where we don't really connect the two idioms, you may find yourself wanting to take actions that don't really come naturally to you. If your predecessor was loved or successful, Well, you may find yourself wanting to act like that person, try out wearing the shoes they've left and just pick up where they left off. Or if your predecessor was disliked or failing, you may find yourself wanting to do everything differently, throwing out way the shoes that they left, bringing new ones in. If you find yourself taking over for the least desirable job, you may find yourself wanting to do things exactly the way they've always been done. Why risk making anything worse? Just slip on the most comfortable shoes you can find and walk around. None of these moves is, well, (laughs) well well-heeled, I might say. Instead, pay attention to that old idiom. Begin with the student's mind. Your predecessor, who was disliked, may actually have been onto something. The charismatic leader you're replacing may have been on the verge of disaster. That undesirable job may be ripe for transforming. Learn the new landscape by 
walking a first. Walk a mile before you ever try on the shoes you're filling. In the original idiom, by the way, you're the one being judged. You're the one who has to keep walking. You need an approach to this by walking around in your own shoes. Understand the shoes from your point of view. And as the other saying goes, if they fit, wear it. Your shoes are the only shoes you can ultimately ever fill. And that's the theme of our show today, filling shoes. Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small, and sometimes they're just like a warm pair of slippers. So let's begin our big shoe. Great things are afoot. I can feel it in my soul. We've accomplished quite the feat with our well-heeled news, our matched left and right opinions, and something from advertising is a shoe-in for rants and raves. So enough of this. My tongue is tied and my laced with puns and my stomach is in knots. No more loafering around. Can I get this pair in a different size for you? I can. Well, then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 208 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, November 5th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the biggest shoes to fill in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? But I actually have very small feet. Don't think bad of me <laughs> as I say that. <laughs> oh, you have very think well, small think feet. Think well of me when you go. Yes. Uh, Hashtag, I have very small feet. Oh, God. They're like We should just start, start over at this point because uh, I don't want that getting out. Um, how's your trip going so far? It's been long. It's been yeah. good, but long. Yeah, no, I had a, I've had a lovely, uh, stay in Lansing, Michigan. Um, and then I moved on from there to the wonderful Providence, Rhode Island, where I've, uh, hung out, uh, for a couple of days with a client working on their content marketing strategy. And today finds me in Boston, um, prepping for tomorrow, which is of course our dun, 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 start of our content marketing masterclass oh, series. That's- Right. I almost forgot about it, even though I Did have you? a plane, a plane ticket at yeah. 630 to come see you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, just a reminder to everyone, contentmarketingconf.com. We will be in Boston, New York, and D.C. this week, kicking off our eight-city tour. You know, I have to tell you about this, just a little side note, um, since we're talking about travel. And by the way, thank you for doing this now, because I didn't want to take my microphone and all my gear, because it's tough getting it through security. They always seem to think it's it's weird kind of a bomb or something yeah, like that. I, I, a, I have the same thing. Every time they always go, you got a microphone in there or what? And I'm like, yes, you've guessed it. You obviously yeah. <laughs> guessed it. Why, why <laughs> da, da, are you asking da. me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I wanted to ask you, because I went to had a great trip to, uh, where did I go? Des Moines? I don't know, I think I went to Des Moines this week. Maybe that was last week. Whenever I was traveling, no, I was yeah. in Fort Myers this week. I can't even remember. Um, but I but I went through Orlando security, and they oh, don't now get me tell on a rant you about Orlando. I mean, well, yeah. but they they were saying that you had to take out all of your oh yeah food, food items now, which is new. 
Oh, did they food tell you items. to do this? No, I haven't gotten the. I never. Well, I, I never have, bring food items with me, but but I. It happened you know I mean? in. Well, it was crazy because everyone had Halloween candy, so they're pulling it. I mean, it was nuts to see all the candy that was because you can't keep it in the bags anymore. And then I went through back through Fort Myers, the same thing. Everybody says take your food items out of the bag, and I talked to the TSA security guy there, and he says. Yeah, you know what we found is we've we found that they're disguising whatever he said incendiary devices or something in food items, wrapped up food items. So we candy corn, candy corn. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I mean actually that's because who would ever really buy candy corn? That's right. Yeah, that's you just know that it's not candy corn. It's actually C four explosives, else. right? It's gonna. You're gonna you're gonna bring. But I didn't down know that. I didn't know if you saw that on your trip. I I did not twice on my trip. Yeah. So there. You know, I did I not. It. it does not surprise me that it happened to you in Florida, um, because quite frankly, that's where all the weird things happen are in Florida. <laughs> so <laughs> it does not surprise me that it was in Orlando. But you know, I, I have not had that happen to me yet in uh, in my travels. They are making you take out everything that's bigger than a cell phone. Yeah, and, now, the, um, now you have to take out the tablets like you have to do in Europe. Same thing. And then shoes have to go on the belt now. They can't go in the bin. Uh, all that. I find that's airport specific. I find that's very it airport is air, specific. It is airport yeah. specific. But the guy that I was talking to said it really needs it needs to be enforced nationwide is from what he just learned. Well, so much yeah, so much of it is consistency, right? I mean, I had, a, I had one of the TSA agents yell at me because I didn't put my shoes on the belt. And I went, okay. And then the next airport, I put my shoes on the and belt and I had the guy the yelled at, yeah, yelled at me for not putting it in the bin. It's like, there's no consistency when it comes to that stuff. You know, it's like, take off your belt. No, you can leave your belt on. You got to take out the, you know, take out everything bigger than a cell phone. That includes a battery pack. No, battery packs can stay in the bag. It's like, it's, it's, there's not a lot. It's, you know, look, it's, I get off on a rant about this because I'm such a business traveler and, 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 you know, it is security theater that that it is the TSA checkpoint because yes well, anyway I it is it is for our benefit not the security benefit uh, so I'm they want fully everyone, convinced of that yes they want everyone to feel safe yes. that is why we go through what we do I actually think that when you walk through that it they it really is not on I like when I look back and they're checking my legs and whatever they're doing and I I'm looking and I'm like that's the same picture for the last guy. Yeah. It's like you, you this thing is not on. Right. You're just you're just is every once on? in a while you're like doing a little extra pat down. I'm That's just kidding. Right. They're doing yeah. a great job. But you're right, it's mostly for our benefit. That's it. Yes. So anyway. So anyways, we'll hope to see everyone. In, yes, uh, content marketing conference coming up. And then we've got another five cities if you're in other parts of the world. We'd love to see you there as well, and it'll be beginning of December tonight, and all that good stuff. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, onwards with our show, folks. Uh, where we start off at the top of the show with, of course, our quick hits segment, where we take some of the news that we have seen over the last week, the news that we think you should be paying attention to. Um, and we're going to pair two stories to top the show uh, this week. And because they're related, um, they both have to do with media companies and both with shifting business models. And I think they're just rightly aligned with these two knuckleheads called Joe and Robert and what they've been writing about lately. And the first one that we'll talk a little bit about is about CNN, of course, Cable News Network. And big hat tip here, by the way, to my friend Jeff Leo Herman, who sent this over via the hashtag 
And he, the headline here reads, CNN plans commerce and new subscription-based service. And the article opens up by saying CNN is looking to wring more dollars from the digital domain. The cable news network has launched an editorially curated online shopping guide, giving it a cut of the sales of products it recommends and is eyeing a rollout of new digital news subscription products next year. On Thursday, CNN launched its first e-commerce initiative, CNN Underscored. Uh, a shopping guide that recommends and lets visitors purchase products in fashion, technology, health, and travel. According to the Turner-owned network CNN Underscored, which is the most the worst name, by the way, ever in the history of naming anything, but all right, <laughs> it has been established as an entirely separate editorial entity from its news gathering operation. We will pair that and we'll talk secondly about The Guardian uh, over there in the UK says money from readers has overtaken advertising as it boasts now 500,000 paying supporters and subscribers. And the article there says Guardian News and Media claims that more than 300,000 readers are now paying at least five pounds a month as support and members. It added to around 100,000 print subscribers and 100,000 digital app subscribers, meaning 500,000 are now making regular payments to The Guardian. So what they say you, Mr. Polizzi, about this horribly named CNN underscored uh, business model shift? Why, you why do you hate the name so much? What's so the deal? T- t- <laughs> so first of all, so tell me where you go- where would you go? Where would you immediately go? Like without any link, like without any hi- hyperlink, if I said... Go to C, uh, uh, CNN underscored. Where where would you go? Would you go to Would you go to literally spell it out? CNN underscored dot com. Would you do that, or would you go to CNN and then literally the underscore the mark? Underscore? Yeah, dot com. Because of course you can't do that because it's a weird character. But it, it it's just and I don't understand it. Under what do you mean CNN underscored? What's the ah? It's what <laughs> it's just. Gets my hackles hackled. Gets well, my and there, grinds and, 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 my yeah, gears. <laughs> and the and the image or the logo is underscored and UN is underlined. Yes. So it, I don't it's know, just maybe they're going to be reviewing underwear and C- undergarments CNN, and it's it's so it's CNN un underscored. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. So here's my here's my professional take. Yeah, CNN underscored. It's cable news network. They'd always focus. I mean, if you look at CNN, CNN is sort of the the middle area between your MSNBC and your Fox, right? That's right. sort of the, yeah, the area kinda. That they cover. They try to. They they yeah. try to be that. Um, why is CNN creating an affiliate e-commerce site for fashion, tech, health, and travel? Well, I suppose the same reason that that a that a New York Times would do it, um, but New York Times, of course, did it through a content brand, right? CNN is not doing it through a content brand. To your point, I think I think what you're getting at, New York Times, of course, did it through. Um, I can't. I'm Wire, blanking Wire on the name. Cutter. Wire Cutter, right? When yeah. they acquired Wire Cutter, they did that. But that was a content brand that they're putting under the New York Times publishing. It's just, yeah, solutions. it's part of the holding company of right, New exactly. York Times, if you will. I I don't. It's a. It's a. First of all. I have no problem with them going after affiliate revenue. Of course. It is right. absolutely yeah. something that all media companies should look look into. They need drastically more sales, not from ads. Um, but I don't see the pivot or the content tilt uh, into this area that CNN doesn't have a competitive advantage in, historically. 
I would have rather them just. You don't see the connection separate. with the with the Vreemy pea seasoned uh, cast iron square grill and and CNN news. You don't see it. You don't. It immediately makes. Well, now that, that you say that, yes, now it makes perfect <laughs> sense. Uh, and I get it. News news is very hard. Why they're doing this? News is very hard to monetize in different ways other than advertising. Very, very difficult to do this. So they're going and they're making this pivot, and that's absolutely correct. I just don't get this. I hope they're successful. I checked out the site, went to cnn.com slash underscored, and and checked it out. It's, It's really interesting. The stuff that they're reviewing by these professional editors looks good. I just don't get that. Now, if we go to the Guardian example... It's interesting that they're moving. Like, if you look at our revenue chart from from Killing Marketing, our book, that's right. You'll see that subscriptions is separate from donations. And what the Guardian is trying to do is historically they've taken one off donations, so they've that's been right. under that revenue stream, and they're trying to move that to annuity revenues in the form of subscriptions. Super smart thing to do instead of just saying, "Hey, would you support us? Give twenty bucks." They're going to say, hey, would you support us? Give 10 bucks a month. Yep. And we'll continue to debit your credit card ongoing. And um, and that's that's absolutely a great model for them. And I think that, that they're going to be successful with it. Just, just seeing more and more of these examples that we've been covering them of other revenue in media companies that's overtaking advertising revenue is really, really good for the news media business. It really is. And I saw some, we're not actually covering it on the show this week, but I saw some other article, uh, I think it was last week, where they talked about how really the, the, the younger generation here, younger people are finding that, that actually subscribing to content is the way that they're maintaining quality. In other words, it's their, that is their vote for quality is, is it whether they're willing to pay for a subscription to it because they see the value in it then, right? And so I think this is a, this is a trend that we're going to continue to see where you're going to see individual content brands launch, you know, very much like what you've seen here with CNN um, it, it, and, and The Guardian, which are both news-oriented content brands, really move to a subscription-based model where – where we see something like the Guardian, where they're looking at all yeah. sorts of different alternative ways to create a subscriber, right? You know, would you like to donate or would you like to see yourself as a subscriber? Same thing, really. We're just extracting money on a regular basis for access to content, but one really looks at it as sort of a a this is a you know uh, a, 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 a donation and or a contribution to a fund-worthy effort called journalism, and the other is basically, hey, you want to get content, subscribe to it, and you've got exclusive access to stuff that nobody else has access to. Different value proposition, different way of selling the same thing. It's classic marketing, but it's just a wonderful look at how content in the audience can be monetized in different ways. It's a good point, and there's a gold rush right now going on in the subscription model because if it's like things like hey i'm going to sign up to netflix or amazon prime there's only so many things we're going to sign up for that's right i gotta go and sign up for 10 different media news subscription sites yeah so i think that some of these people like cnn and the guardian and the other ones that are just launching these models they might be a little bit late to this game you've got wall street journal and new york times that have been doing it for a long time um so well, that's the Guardian, interesting Guardian's thing, right? Not late, but but there's a lot of them that are late, and even and especially the business news sites. Yeah, the B2B but that's sites. A, that's a really interesting 
point that you make, though, because think about it this way. Right now, it's a net new market gold rush, right? So classic, classic early adopter, you know, uh, ideas going on here, classic crossing the chasm things. If you're on the marketing side, which is if you're trying to get into the subscription-based acquisition mode, you look at your marketplace and you see where you are and you either go niche and go vertical and, or you, you go wide and try to get the biggest audience you can for first mover advantage. What's going to shift into again, classic marketplace is a replacement market, right? So over time, what you're going to see is companies like the Guardian and the CNN basically saying, let me tell you why you should switch from the Guardian or CNN to my Turner News. You know what I mean? It's like they're this really interesting, which has been a fascinating thing because think about it for a second. CNN versus um, MSNBC is an example, right? They never, they're competitors, but they're competitors really for the eyeballs against who they were, who they were distributing through, which would be Comcast or, you know, a cable provider. And now they're going to be going head to head for the access and advantage to the subscriber direct, you know, directly competing with each other. It's a different competition model. It's in a weird way, it's not unlike what's going on. This is, I don't know if this is a bridge too far, but it's not unlike what's going on in the pharmaceutical industry right now, where it used to be about competing for access to healthcare providers uh, to get to the consumer. And now it's the other way around. You're going direct to the consumer and you're trying to get access to the healthcare providers. And it's the, the, uh, this is the same thing. It used to be competing for cable networks would be competing for access to the cable providers. And now we're going to go direct to the consumer um, and compete there. It's a fascinating, fascinating place where we're at right now. Well, we're moving away from the eyeball model into the generating revenue model, and you don't, you need it. And then you look at your yield per subscriber, right? And that's that's how you're measuring everything. You don't necessarily know. Oh, I need to make sure I have this much audience because I'm going to sell advertising against it. Exactly well, yeah, right. but that's a short term model. Now you're looking at well, how many eyeballs do I need to sell? Uh, whatever, what's the BuzzFeed selling? Their smart app cooker that they're yeah, selling now? Exactly. I mean, they're selling and, and cookbooks and books and yeah, all yeah, that stuff. So yeah, so that's, again, it's the, and you and I just talked about it. We talk about it every time, right? We are, everyone is in the same business model. We're all in the media business, but we're making decisions, strategic decisions, hopefully, on which of those revenue uh, lines that we want to activate. That's, that's the difference. Right. Yep, that's, that's the it. only difference. So The only difference is talent and trust. That's it. And there you go. Yeah. 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 All right. Moving on to our second uh, quick hit story here. Um, this one comes courtesy of our friends at Ad Age. Uh, and this one is a fascinating one sent in by a bunch of you guys. So thank you for sending it in. Um, this one definitely made the radar. Ad blockers successful siege on Facebook enters the second month. And I love that headline, by the way. It was just a great headline. Um uh, for any Game of Thrones or anybody like that. Anyway, moving on, the story opens up by saying, after a retreat that lasted nearly a year, Adblock Plus has resumed its assault on Facebook with a particularly strong version of its software that seems to be thwarting the social network's engineers. Since late September, the popular ad blocking software has been able to keep many sponsored posts from appearing in Facebook news feeds on desktop computers. It even erases commercials from programming on Facebook Watch, Facebook's big new bet on becoming a video destination. In its prior attempt to block ads on Facebook in the summer of 2016, Adblock Plus engineers squared off against Facebook for weeks, trading updates to get the upper hand. Adblock Plus never lasted more than a few days before Facebook successfully countered. After about a month, Adblock Plus went away, defeated until September 26th. 
I thought. Th- what did you think about that? I think this is just a fascinating. I have a total take on this, but what, what did you? Oh, think I want. I want to hear your take. The the my first thing is it's it's totally off the subject of the article, but it, this is an ad age, and the article is about ad blocking, and the first thing you see is a promotion by AdAge to come to their ad-blocking seminar. <laughs> right? I Which, actually was like, is this sponsored content? I just, was, you know, it just threw me off a little. Did it, did it throw you off? Did no, you see that? No, it didn't. No, I di- it didn't because I'm, I'm assuming the ad-blocking thing is how to get around it, basically. How to, how to, you know, what you need to know to get, to get, to get around it kind of thing. It's, uh, yeah, it, to me it looked like a related, like, I want to buy – you know, it's the adjacency thing, right? You know, yeah, when you buy an adjacency, I know. and a, I just uh, that's the that's the first thing I got. Let me hear your take. I want to hear it. You got a take? Go ahead. So it, my take is is that that ad block is going to win this war, and it's not going to be ad block that wins the ultimate. The ad block has won this battle. It's going to be the browser that wins. It's going to be the operating system that wins this battle. Um, and so this is a you know this now here's there's two sides to this, right? The first is. We talked about this, uh, not, I don't think it was last week, but maybe a couple of weeks ago, where we talked about Safari and the 4As and the ANA and the IAB all sending the joint letter to the makers of the, basically to Apple uh, and to Google saying, hey, hey, yeah, you know that uh, blocking stuff you're putting in your browser? Hey, pal, old friend, old buddy, could you like not do that? And Google and Apple are so far going, no, we're going to do it. Because um, the new ad blocking in Safari is pretty easy to turn on, et cetera. That's the other side of this, right? So ad, ad blocker ultimately gets bought, I think, by somebody, you know, one of the major foundational OS systems, Microsoft, Apple, or Google, um, for the internet uh, operating system, and gets incorporated in some way into one of the user experiences, whether it be you know, Safari or Chrome or whatever Microsoft's browser is yeah. these days. Um, and that becomes, and that, and that, and what that will be is an acquisition of talent, which will be constantly focused on how do I get rid of, you know, those ad paid for experiences, and it's that battle's not going away. Now, here's the thing: the way that this becomes a, a, a you know, not just an inside baseball discussion where it's like, ooh, that's interesting, and and basically a very small niche of people who care about such things. Because you ask about ad blocking to like my wife, for example, she doesn't care. She's not changed her Facebook preferences. She's never installed an ad blocker. Mm-hmm. She's never gone into a preferences of Chrome to turn off ads. She'll complain about ads occasionally, and I'll say, "Hey, listen, go turn off, you know, go turn off the ads in your ad blocker in Safari." She's like, "Ah, I can't be bothered." Right? That's the that's the general tone of of consumers out there. So this is a very small dent in the armor that is in the revenue stream that is Facebook. And so we tend to get all frothy about it, but it's, but it's not that big a deal, but it will be when it moves to the operating system or the browser, right? When it, when that battle moves to the operating system and the browser, when Adblock ultimately gets bought by, you know, Safari or, or excuse me, Apple or Google or Microsoft, it'll become a, it'll become a big deal. It's just yet another data point that the, that the, that the unwanted content and filtering of unwanted content, including ads, is going to go away at some point. It may be a slow burn, but it's going away at some point. Well, I think this is a total non-issue. That's what yes, I think. Yes, I, I agree. I, think, I don't think we're saying anything different. Well, no, no. Yeah. Well, th- but here's the thing, and I just to go in a little bit more detail. First of all, this, is, this affects desktop only. So you're Correct. Talking, yes, Absolutely. this is only the browser. If you look at total revenue Mobile's affected, coming, though. Mobile's yeah. coming, though. Yeah, but you're you're talking five. No, I don't believe it is. 
because that you're you're going <laughs> first of all it's five to ten percent of revenue that could be affected from facebook right now so they're right. like oh whatever because desktop usage is going down and mobile continues to go up that's not going to change if you ad block is not going to uh interfere with with somebody just going to the facebook app environment that's a facebook owned environment they're not going to penetrate. I don't think they're going to penetrate that in any way. And if Facebook wants to say, look, uh, we don't like this, what's going on with the browser, they're going to create their own uh, Facebook app experience for the desktop. And they're going to have only experiences that you can get through that. People are going to say, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to use my browser to go to Facebook. I'm going to click on this thing to go to Facebook, launch the, launch the executable. And you're in that environment, and that way, ad block plus ad block ad blocker of any kind has nothing to do with anything anymore. And Facebook's Maybe. big enough that they could do that. Yeah, they 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 are. They're absolutely able to do that. Um, but you're but all of that depends on the OS, right? So remember who has that ultimate control of access to the consumer here. It is not Facebook. It is the device that you hold in your hand. So without them actually launching a Facebook phone. There is ultimately a fine. There is a final chapter here, which is I get to control. So, in other words, Apple can say, "Yeah, that's all cool and everything." We're not going to load Facebook. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Or we're not going. You know, we'll just make it not work very well. You know. So, so it's it there. Now, I don't think any of that's going to happen. I think to your point, that's a non-issue, and I don't think any, I don't think it ever escalates to that to that point because at some point the marketplace will 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 tell that it won't we won't need to make it regulated by the by the companies. But I think in the short term, the battle is just going to get more and more and more heated, right? So, but but ultimately, it's those that have access to the audience, which is you know at this point, mm-hmm. you know Apple, Google, Chrome and uh microsoft and you know basically whatever whatever the brand is of the device you hold in your hand that's who's got access to your audience well from that that's a great point you make you know the most important decision in all this was is um google's decision to launch android absolutely yes that's and the we talked most about important that. Yeah. Th- yeah that is the most important thing because you're right i mean i talked to a friend of mine last week that works with some third world populations and we were talking about the type of apps that they get uh, that they access on their phones. And he says the 99% of the people just use the apps that came with the smartphone. Yeah. If yeah, they're right. there, exactly. they use them. And if they're not, they don't, they don't go to an app store. They don't go to anything like that. They just, they got 11, 12 apps. That's what they're using. Yeah. So that's what we were talking about. Okay. How do you communicate? Do you use Snapchat? Do you use Facebook? Do you use uh, WeChat? Whatever the case is, they use what's on the phone. So it's just interesting. That's that's you're right. It's going to be interesting. So it is going to be interesting. So this is going to have. So what we just talked about is not going to pertain to anything. So I'm right on that one. You're right on the whole <laughs> iOS part. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so we're both right. So there. Yeah. Sure. In different ways. Right. Yes, absolutely. In different ways. <laughs> you're right in the right way, and I'm right in the wrong way. What you mean you to said say. it. I didn't say it. It's what you that. mean to say. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to move on in our show to our in-depth section, which is where Joe and I go on to a little bit more depth about something in content marketing that has us going, hmm, things that make you go, hmm. hmm. Um, all right. So our first story here uh, is one 
Uh, this was an interesting one. So the title of this is Content Marketing in Crisis. Uh, this is a presentation, and thank you, by the way, to the folks at Content, K-N-T-N-T, our friends in Sweden, um, who sent this over uh, via the hashtag, um, and they are they sent this over. It's a presentation from an event that happened in, I guess, just outside of London. Um, it was the F-Works <laughs> conference, which just made me giggle when I, I mean, that's my 17-year-old giggling, by the way. The F-Works conference. Um, <laughs> was it F Week? No, it's I think it F, was F it's, Week. It's F Week, but from F Works. Um, the the, oh. the the F Works is the name of the company, and the F Weeks is the name. Anyway, it's my. I hope it does. My, my teenager is giggling. So um, <laughs> basically, the conference was a a presentation. Um, given by Marsha Lindsay of Brandworks University, and she was giving a presentation called uh, "Content Marketing in Crisis," and it's basically it, it's the 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 what we're going to link to in the show notes is a video of the presentation itself, and it's, and it's good quality, so it's it's worth a watch. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. She talks, she opens up, and then we'll get into the discussion about what Joe and I'll I'll say about this. She opens up by saying that content marketing is in crisis because the the corporation, the business imperative now is growth. Um, and people are so focused on growth, and even to the point where she points out that the rise of the growth or a growth acceleration officer, um, that it has put content into crisis because content marketing isn't actually helping companies grow. Um, she says there are three things that are challenging a the practice – which is one, confusion about what content marketing even is, um, the hucksters that are out there selling some sort of snake oil, and the explosion of content. She doesn't use the word content shock, but she basically is is talking about that. Those three things, and then she goes on to lay out seven uh, ideas that would actually help to alleviate the crisis, I guess. Um, and that's what we'll discuss are the seven, a few of the seven things that she says should alleviate the crisis. Um, what did you think, Mr. Polizzi, about um, Marsha's uh, seven things here? Wow. Yeah. I, I got to <laughs> tell you, I, I was really torn with this. Yeah, um, same here. There's so many things to cover. The problem that I had to start with and maybe and, and I'm completely biased in this because Marsha goes in and says, please don't use the term content marketing anymore. Right. So I take, I'm trying to figure out why she's going that direction. I don't know if she ever really said, because of the reasons that you say, but she, she really looks at it from a tactical standpoint, like everybody's creating content, but she doesn't get into the real why. I think it's because there's no real strategy behind it. She touches on it. But we know from our experience that you know why only 30% say they're successful is because they don't have a documented strategy behind it. They're very tactical, very campaign-driven. Now, I got, I got set off negatively uh, to go back to that point because she cited five stats. And those five stats, she gave credit to uh, two other organizations that weren't Content Marketing Institute, and they were our stats. Yeah. So I had a problem with that. How hard is it? She she's a professor at the University of Wisconsin. She, <laughs> she actually she actually opens up the presentation by talking about how great they are at research. Yeah, research. <laughs> so I sent her. And by the way, this stuff can happen. Like I yeah. don't know no, where no, she yeah, went, right. yeah, and she exactly. got maybe maybe it didn't read right. Um, so I sent her a note. I sent her a very nice note on LinkedIn. I hope she gets back to me. And I just said, would you please use Content Marketing Institute? Now the negative part of me. 
uh, or the skeptical part of me said, well, she didn't use Content Marketing Institute because she just said that she didn't want anyone to use the term content marketing. So, of course, she's not going to cite right. Content Marketing Institute. Regardless, the I think she defines content marketing way too broadly and not strategically specific like we do. But my issue, and this is what I wanted to ask you a question, I thought there was a little bit of bait and switch going on because she's talking about, okay, here's everybody's doing content marketing wrong for the reasons you said. There's a better way. Here's the seven things that you really need to do to come around. But the the things that she was talking to of really good um, content marketing examples weren't content marketing. They were advertising. No, exactly. Dove campaign for real beauty yeah. was one of she her was, major she ones. She was yeah. going through well, you know, really good advertising uh, stories for the most part. That's right. So then I'm like, all right, well, let me go back into Marsha's background and see what she's been doing. You know, Marsha spent 30 years in advertising. I she's, know. She's part of the uh, Advertising Hall of Fame. So this makes total sense for her to almost trash content marketing and all the money that's going to content marketing. And she's really trying, from what I read, to keep it in advertising. Spend, she's saying spend more on your brand, spend more on brand awareness, keep it in advertising. That's where I had a problem with it. I don't know if I'm reading this right, so you can tell me if I'm wrong. But that's that's what I took from it. Well, I, you know, I, I think it, she falls into the camp, which I find frequently. And, and again, you and I have said a million times, although we, quite frankly, it, it seems to never sink in with a lot of folks, that we don't care, ultimately, if the term is adopted or not. It's just the best one we have at the moment. Um, and so... You know, so the whole argument that we should abandon the term because the term is misunderstood is is a complete oxymoron. The the re, you know to to say that we should abandon the term and call it marketing communications, and she suggests integrated. That's what she said. That's a right. good point. That's right. What she she said. says you know, and she suggests integrated marketing communications, which by the way. From university, I have a whole completely different understanding of integrated marketing communications. You know, the Don Schultz School of Integrated Marketing yeah, Communications. Yeah, I see. Absolutely. Very yep. well known. And so it's a very well-known practice and a very well-known methodology and an approach and, and, and all of that. So to suggest that it's just marketing communications is not going to provide any clarity to what the actual value is of doing it. So – I don't care, again, if the term is used or not. The point being that the practice is something different. It is something different for most businesses. And she really wants to focus in on how content drives the funnel. And again, getting to advertising and getting to marketing communications, totally get that. I think that's an absolutely incredible piece of what you know, great content in marketing does. And then uh, the content marketing and or creating value with content, which she touches on quite a bit in the stats and everything else, then is actually additive to that. It's different. It's, a, it's infused into, as we've said a million times. However, having said all of that, she turns it around at the end, turns the whole ship around and basically says, but you can actually create content so great that people will pay for it. And then she starts talking about the model. And she's content as a product. Right. The content. You talk about all the time. Exactly. She says, yeah. you know, content should be treated as a product and content is a, a, is a wonderful thing and, and you, should, you should get paid for it and you can treat it like a product and actually drive revenue from it. And she talks about that for the, the and last. And uses the Mondelay example. Yeah, that and we uses bring the Mondelay example. Exactly. Yep. And, 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 and uses all of that and says, this is the new, this is the future of where we're going. 
is helping. She uses the word conversations, which, you know, a lot of people use, you know, sort of driving the conversation, as it were, and getting paid for doing it and treating it like a product and actually, you know, in, integrating that into your business, which, of course, I go, yay, that's yes, that's yes, it, yes you're, you're you're finally onto it. Right. So. All of that is to say I end up I end up at the end of that forty five minutes just being really torn about the whole thing, just saying, Hey, I I'm 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 with you on the second, you know, or the last quarter of your presentation, but not with you at all in the in the first in in the first half well, of it. The conversations thank you for mentioning that. The conversations thing is the last third of her presentation where she talks about we have to ask questions to our audience and really get involved in these conversations. But because she doesn't use the term content or content marketing, yeah, she doesn't say how we get those conversations started. We do that through valuable, relevant, compelling content generation to a targeted audience uh, on a consistent basis. It's con- content marketing to see a behavior change. That's That's the difference. But she doesn't get to it because you can't have those conversations without the content. That's right. So that's that's where like the conversations just don't happen if you just if you're in a meeting and you say, "Oh, well, what does real beauty look like?" Well, she's yeah, and 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 you know, so the the historian in me got, you know, got, you know, sort of my ears perked up then when she started doing that. I mean, she's basically parroting um Doc Searles and the Clue Train manifesto there, right? So where, you know, Doc and his guys in clue train talk about you know markets are conversations and yes. you have to you know yes. you, you and she actually uses that phrase markets being conversations um and um, um but that's where that i think that's where she's getting that from is the idea of markets being conversations um and driving but the, but no but your I, point I get, but your, but your that, point but, is absolutely valid but the but she's talking to an audience and they don't know how to get to that conversation how do you get to be part of the conversation or lead the conversation right, exactly how how do you do that right well if we could call, if we could say what it is, content marketing, maybe that would be the the way to do it. By the way, yeah, I love the whole revenue side of this conversation, but it was very hard for me to follow. And by the end of it, she was talking about how Elon Musk started this new company, and you can have somebody download your content. Oh, from I would, their brain. I was that she totally she lost me there. Yeah, she totally lost, lo- yeah. totally lost me in yeah, that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I mean, some good things in here, but this is the kind of stuff that you and I. I don't want to say fight against, but this is the stuff we have to deal with when we're out there presenting what we feel is a very effective business model around the practice of content marketing. And you get people that, you know, I don't want to say it's, it's the haters out there. Well, it's the, it's the, 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 the challenge that I have with this is that the, her first and primary point for the first uh, 25 minutes of her, eh, not that long, 15 minutes of her presentation is yeah. that the term is confusing and people don't know what it means. And therefore it, but she spends then the next, you know, basically she has a 39 minute presentation where she confuses the, you know, the first question in her Q and a, the first question is, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, you kind of lost me there when you, you know, when you switched from, hey, you shouldn't use the term and you shouldn't do this to you should make money doing this. Um, and so anyway, I don't, the, it's worth a listen. Go watch the presentation. Go, go get the value out of it. Go, go be challenged by it. Be not challenged by it. I just think it's a very, um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing. And hopefully yeah, we'll, we'd love we'll to continue. get your take. Yeah. yeah get the conversation absolutely. going, right? Yeah. Get the conversation going so, anyway. Okay. Um, well, speaking of getting conversations going, see how we did that. We're getting talking Ooh. about markets as conversations. Nice. We have something, a sponsor that totally knows how to get those conversations going. 
Absolutely, Robert. I'd like to tell you about a company called Storyblocks. If all of our listeners go to storyblocks.com slash CMI, you can get all the stock images, video, and audio you can possibly imagine for the low, low price of $149. I actually, as I'm saying that, Robert, I feel like I'm one of those hucksters that uh, Marsha talked about. You know, she was, that's the example she used. For the low, low price of $595, <laughs> you can get the contentiest content marketing. That's what she was saying. Yeah. Anyways, I'm still upset about it. I'm yeah. sorry. I can't get over it. Yeah. But this is not about me. This is about our great sponsor, storyblocks.com. Uh, that is, you can li- literally download any kind of images you want to. They've got videos. They've got audio tracks. You can unlock discounts for, for millions more. I mean, if you think of, thought about your creative needs, have you ever had your work compromised due to budgetary constraints because you can't get the type of uh, creative that you wanted to? Let's say you want to use a photo of the Statue of Liberty, Liberty or uh, maybe you, in your case, Robert, maybe you want an image of Tony Romo. <laughs> <laughs> And you couldn't afford the cost of the clip and had you to mean Tony Romo off. in the broadcaster's booth? Yeah, yes, the broadcast yeah, booth. Yeah, now yeah. everybody, yeah, not Tony Romo playing anymore. Yeah, of course, that right? Happen. Yes, but you had to leave that clip out, and it really, you know, you're not happy about it. You don't have to worry about that anymore. You can get high quality stock images, videos, and audios, audio for a fraction of the cost with Storyblocks. You can download all the stock your heart desires from their member library, including 400,000 images, 150,000 videos and 100,000 audio clips. All content is royalty-free, so you can use it for commercial and personal projects. New content is added regularly, so there's always something fresh to download. Go to storyblocks.com slash CMI when you can to get the best discount possible. And super thankful for our good friends at Storyblocks for, for stepping up. I think they should, possible. they should get like a t-shirt that says, get your meme on. Get your meme on, right? Cause, I wonder if they all the, those great Those great pictures, those great... Those great images make great memes. They just, if you're. That's true. You know, and the only reason I know that is because I just had to do that for my, my wife is doing this nonprofit thing for barn owls. Um, so this is a totally <laughs> random thing okay. to be talking about on the show. But yeah, so we're putting together this nonprofit program in our neighborhood because barn owls, I don't know if you know this or not, barn owls are a great way to get rid, naturally get rid of neighborhood pests like mice and, and, and rats and, you know, small rodents that, you know, are, are not good for the neighborhood. And so instead of putting out traps or poison and stuff like that, which can poison small dogs and cats and other animals, you get these barn owls to come in. So you buy, you buy these boxes and you get these barn owl boxes and you put them up in your house and barn owls come and live in them and they're cute and they're awesome and they're owls. I mean, come on, how awesome are owls? These are real owls. Real owls. They come in. You, real, buy, okay. you build the boxes and you attract them in and then they take care of the, they take care of the mice and they're small enough. Barn owls are small enough that they don't bother like little dogs or little kittens or cats or stuff. So... Um, so we're putting together this little nonprofit group and we're going to, you know, we're going to do this in our neighborhood and all of that kind of stuff. And so to promote the first event, they said, Hey, you're that, you know, I'm the social media guy, of course, in my family. Um, and so they said, Hey, you, you should put together some memes. So I got some images and some of owls and I started doing like, you know, knock, knock, who's there. Owl be back later to, you know, I mean, I did some funny ones. Um, and, but it's great. You need those images to make those memes. So get your meme on and go to story blocks and get it on. That's that what I was, think. That was a long that way was, around to get there, that but was I a got great, there. That was a great story. <laughs> I'm so glad you shared that exactly. with us. <laughs> All right, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. 
We will move on now to your favorite part of the show. It's our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel, you know, like we're in comfortable shoes or something that makes us feel like we're wearing... Oh, shoes that uh, we stumble around in, I guess, would be the thing to say. All right. So I'm going first because I have this old marketing. I have, let's see, I have a, uh, just a quick commentary and then I have a rave. Uh, So the commentary, this is just an article I think you should all go read. Um, You, I'm probably wearing out my welcome now about how much I talk about the idea of agencies and consultancies and how those two worlds are clashing. Um, this is an article that we'll link to in the show notes. So it's, yes, it's another one of those articles, but I think this is really interesting. And it was the, there was some insight here that I hadn't thought of before and I just was fascinated by it. So I thought I'd mention it out to, to you guys. Um, this comes from digiday.com and the headline is we're giving the business away to consultants. Agencies brace for new competition. And so the thrust of the article isn't anything that you're probably not aware of, you know, that consultancies and especially the big five are starting to really compete for the creative services um, of the, you know, of, of traditional agencies. There's an article, there's an, they start to pull in some quotes here that are just fascinating. One is the transparency idea. And they start talking about how the consultancies are providing um, better transparency into strategies and the way they're doing it. And agencies, of course, are still you know struggling with that whole transparency issue and kickbacks and everything else we've talked about ad nauseum on the show. But the one that really struck me was the consultancies that are starting to now give away media services in return for the strategy, when in fact that was the exact opposite model for wow. the agency business forever, right? Yeah. The agency business forever was we'll take a haircut on all the, you know, we'll give you the strategy, the account services, the even the creative services in some kind. And what we want in return is, of course, 10 or 11 or 12% of your media buy. And that's how, that's how you made your, you made your revenue if you were an agency. And so what has happened over the course of the last, you know, call it 17 years, is that that model has started to come the pendulum has started to swing a bit. So you've started to see the haircut come on media margins where you get eight or nine or 7% of your media buy now. And you're starting to charge for some of those boutique services like, you know, creative services or making print ads or doing strategy and planning and stuff like that. But it's still largely driven by the commissions that you're getting out of the, the, the media buy. And the consultancies apparently, according to this article are coming in and saying, yeah, 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 no, we'll give you that. We'll do. We'll just well zero percent on the media buy. Hundred percent of your media buy is going up. We're going to charge you for your for your strategy services, and that is just a fascinating thing to me. I just think it's really interesting. Anyway, the article is really good. I highly recommend it um, as uh, keeping up with the sort of um, everything that's going on in that space. Um, my second is a rave. This is a blog post on Medium. Um, that I really, really want to just highlight. And another article that I think you should totally go read. The article is by this guy, Josh Spector. Um, and Josh is, he's a blogger and, and a content guy, and he's been around for a long time. Um, he's worked in a number of areas. He's worked as a musician. He's a comedian, author, filmmaker, all sorts of things. And he writes this blog post um, that is just really wonderful about audiences. Um, and the, the, the article is entitled The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Audience. And he basically just talks about um, 
you know, some, it's nothing, you know, that's like, it's not 5,000 words or anything. It's not this deep in-depth thing, but it's really just a great overview and look at how to think about growing an audience if you're focused there. And he starts out with what an audience really is. And I love this quote where he says, your audience isn't the number of people who consume a particular creation. It's rather the number of people you can count on to consume your next creation. Oh, and that's of, perfect. Yeah. yeah. And, of, and of course, Joe, you've heard me say this a million times, right? In the masterclass when I talk about, you know, subscript subscribers, right? When I say, you know, subscribers aren't the people who transacted to download your white paper. They're the ones signing up for all the other white papers that are coming down the road. That's the true meaning of subscribers. So immediately he had my heart as soon as I saw that, as soon as, as, soon as I saw that quote. And then as he says, and this is just a, another quote that he's got, he says, 500 people who loved you, but didn't connect with you is nothing more than 500 missed opportunities. And I just, I love that. So Ooh. then he goes, he goes yeah. through the six elements of audience growth about knowing them, identifying your audiences, doing the audience persona work, doing the content creation. It's got to be great content. Anyway, I won't, I won't pimp the article too much because I want you to go read it, but just a really wonderful piece. And I just thought just great. And I wanted to rave about it. So there you go. Oh, that's, that's a really good one. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you put audience into any, t- any blog post title and they've got your attention. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> you were like, oh my gosh, audience, I got it. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's very crazy. funny, yes. All right, I have a, a very quick, um, I, this is a commentary, uh, I would imagine. So our good friend, use the hashtag Igor, uh, at Igor, B-I-E-L-O, on Twitter. Uh, always uh, a great supporter of the podcast. Igor. Yes, exactly right. And so sent in this Ars Technica um post and it's called the strangest things archaeologists have found on the ancient silk roads which has nothing to do with content marketing except for what happened in the comments which is what igor uh let us know about so basically uh ars technica uh you know excellent website they use they don't do a lot of video but in this particular post this was episode two of ancient people did stuff and it's a very good video five uh, six minutes long and they go through this whole thing on um, on what these ancient people did and on the Silk Road and all that stuff. Well, there's 160 comments mostly complaining. They're complaining that there's no transcript for this uh, and there wasn't a transcript. And they're also complaining is they don't like the, uh, the, the video player. They don't like video at all. This audience is not used to video. So uh, Lee Hutchinson, who's the senior technology editor for Ars Technica, basically went off and didn't go on a rant, but went on an explanation of why they did all the things that they did. So this is where it gets relevant. So first of all, she says, transcripts, I hear you guys, I really do, but uh, we don't have a lot of interns to do this stuff. We can't hire interns, and we've got to get this stuff out quickly so there's no transcript. First thing I got to say is, then you need to plan better. <laughs> um, there's lots of places that can help you get your transcripts, and I'm, I know it's work, and it's not perfect when you get them wherever you go. I mean, you use a lot of transcription services, Robert. So, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, what? But you have to proof it and whatnot. But then you time it. You don't. You, you release the videos so you have all the assets that you can release properly and and all that stuff. Well, that that's fine. But the big issue here is the video. So she goes on number of points about video because everybody's complaining about, we don't want to see this video. We want you to use YouTube embeds. Why are you using Condé Nast videos player, video player, whatever. So she goes, number one, 
I'm reading directly from what you put. Video is here to stay. This has been communicated explicitly to us by CN Condonast. This is the way things are going to be, period. Full stop. There is no appeal process. That is the way, this is the way it is. Oh my God. <laughs> so she's saying, I don't know if you caught in between the lines there, but she's saying that they're going to do video if they like it or not, yes, or whether our right. audience likes it or not. That's right. Um, number two, with the understanding that number one is absolutely 100% not going to change and that we must hit certain rapidly increasing video KPIs every month. We're doing everything we can to not make bad video. So, okay. It is actually a pretty good video. Um, and then she goes on and she's trying different things and all that kind of stuff. This is, this is, this is being, this is something that they're communicating to customers. Yes, this is the readers. Amazing. This is this is amazing. a comment. This is a comment in into all the readers. That's amazing. And actually, it's worth reading. So we'll put it in the show notes, and yeah. you can go through. I didn't go through all 164 comments, but I did go through Lee's because it was interesting. You could tell that she doesn't really like to do video, but she's being forced to do video. And I well, hear sure. There's a pa- more, there's a passive aggressiveness going on oh, in there, ab- and, and abs- you could feel that, right? Absolutely. But here's the problem: is okay. You've got a big media company mandating video to all their brands, whether the audience wants it or not, whether it's good for strategy, doesn't matter. By the way, media companies do this all the time. They say, oh, it worked in one brand or video's hot. We're all going to do video now. Right, right. And I was just at a conference, uh, the Fort Myers conference last week, and everyone was saying, oh, we have to do video, right? Because video's hot. And if you're not doing video, you're going to be left behind. And I'm tired of this. Yeah. You're jumping. You're jumping to the channel before you even know what you're communicating with. Uh, you 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 don't. Nobody has to do video, right? Maybe Ars Technica isn't shouldn't do video. I don't know if the proper strategic um, steps were gone through. Whether or not this makes sense to do video, and just because the big media company says you should do video, we do video. This is why there's an opportunity for brands to focus on niche audiences and to figure out what makes the most sense and how we're going to tell our story and how we're going to grow our audience because you've got all these media companies out there that have to do certain things because Big Papa said they had to. Yep. So, or Big Mama, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, it's just interesting. It was just total it's it's totally inside. You get you get that inside baseball look that you don't normally get. Because this happens in media companies all the time, and we get to see it because she put a comment <laughs> out on it. So I just think it's totally fascinating um, on this push for video when I think in a lot of cases it's not correct. Yeah, that's fascinating. So Yeah, that's yeah. definitely one she should have written and then not hit send on. And I don't it. have a problem with – I mean it, it seems like she's uh, – she's very transparent most of the time with the audience, but she is laying out her problem. Like she's saying, we just don't have the resources and they won't let us well, hire interns. And, and you try to get good transcription and yeah, she's venting. Right. That's yes. Venting. That's the whole point, right? You know, you know, that is in the, that is squarely in the camp of never let them see you sweat thing. You know, it's, it's like, you know, that was not, that, <laughs> that is not properly messaged because <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, I got to figure, through, I, I'm not way. looking at the comments, but I got to figure the comment that oh. I'm, I'm assuming that that response didn't work out well for her. <laughs> but you know what's, what's funny is yeah, she goes through about a thousand words of this. Yeah. And then the last paragraph is this. So TLDR video is happening. Yeah, we can't use YouTube. <laughs> right. We're looking at transcript options, but they can't impact revenue. Right. You can happily yell at me directly over video, and she she gives her email address. 
Yes. She just said, stop commenting. We don't, please stop having video. She said, you can send them to me, but we're having video whether you like it or not. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's a right. great, there we that's go. a great, yeah. I feel bad for her. I do I too. Do. I do too. I do too. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. All, All right. right. You got a this old marketing? I do have a this old marketing. Yeah, it's a fun one. Um, and once again, um, you know, so if there is a competition, uh, this person wins the competition hands down in terms of the number and quality of this old marketings that she sent over. Bethany Johnson. Bethany, thou who has the Twitter wow. handle that we shall not name, yes, yes, yes. Is, has sent over yet another great one. Um, so this one comes from us in the 19 teens around the world war one timeframe. Um, John Holland, uh, is the guy's name. He is known as the father of us submarines. Did you know that? That's, I, I didn't know that no. before this. No, he no. founded a company called the electric boat company in 1899 to build, uh, the first submarines. Um, he died, uh, in, uh, 1914. The electric boat company then reorganized um, right around the time that World War I was getting its uh, getting underneath it, and they changed it to the Submarine Boat Corporation around 1915. So three years into that uh, manifestation, they launched uh, something uh, that was uh, truly as part of the founder and, and part of the company's sort of heritage is a weekly publication, a thought leadership-driven, magazine-driven publication called Speed Up. And it was basically the geekiest of all geek around shipbuilding, what submarines could do, the technology, basically educating the market in terms of what the current uh, the current place was in terms of the total geek out of building submarines, building boats, etc. And I've, they, they we'll link to a, 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 an issue of this from nineteen, I think it's from nineteen twenty. Um, and the first, the, the introductory, the foreword of that issue of that magazine is written by uh, Charles M. Schwab, to not to be confused with the Charles Schwab of the financial services company, but Charles Schwab, the steel, Bethlehem steel magnate, who, of course, before and, and – and, or not before, but just after Bethlehem steel was also the executive director of the shipbuilding um, – one of the shipbuilding associations and, and basically uh, writes the foreword and some thought leadership pieces. So they were getting influencers in every, every week to write thought leadership pieces around the forwarding of building submarines, building ships, and sort of all of the geeky technical details. The magazine itself is fascinating, the, the one we'll link to in the show, and it's just reading some of the articles about, you know, the the technology of ships and where it was in 1920, the, you know, sort of getting everybody rah-rah and, 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 and really inspired to get into the war effort, because, um, of course, this is right in the, the, the scope of World War One. And all of that is just fascinating. But the, the, the coolest sort of punchline of the story is, of course, after World War I, there were some, I guess, real problems with Submarine Corporation. Um, and it went through a number of mergers, acquisitions, et cetera, and then ultimately became a company that we now know as the small little startup called General Dynamics, which, of course, oh, is wow. yeah the $30 billion company um, that is the defense contractor. So it all started with this little submarine company and the magazine that they created in a thought leadership and a wonderful example of this old marketing. Great story. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I don't know awesome where you trip. get all these, Robert. I get them from Bethany Johnson is where I get them <laughs> I from. It's where, it's where I get them all now. It's fantastic. She's, she's just absolutely delightful to get these things from. So, so thank you to Bethany again for that. So 
There we are. Right. There we are. That's so it. so I see you in a few hours. I'll see you in a few hours. Yeah, I leave in a couple hours. I'll produce this baby for release Monday night. Yeah. And then, uh, Monday, what is it? Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, we have... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'll see you in a few hours, and uh, it should be a fun week. Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode number 208, don't subscribe because we're about to end this whole little thing. And by the way, thank you so much to everybody. Yes, the, thank you. The GIFs, the, the comments, the emails, everything that you have sent over has been truly touching, truly making our hearts sing. So, yes, we're sad, too. Um, and so, yes, it's bittersweet, as we say. And um, But don't. Yeah, just review us on iTunes if you feel like doing that. Or just, quite frankly, just tweet us up. Let us know. Hashtag us up. Let us know what we should talk about in our few episodes that we have remaining. Let us know um, if there are any story ideas, of course. Hashtag us up, and, and uh, let's just keep that conversation going at this old marketing. We appreciate you so much as a subscriber to our little show. And, of course, you can email us if you like email, thisoldmarketinginstitute.com. All the links we talked about, of course, will be available in the show notes as Joe goes to publish this bad boy on Monday night. And, of course, in the show post in all its replete technicolor glory at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember it's your story to tell. You tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.